Hi, my name is T. Prasad, and welcome to the Private Corporate Council podcast, the podcast where we discuss business issues, including issues from growth and development, conflict resolution, uh, and all issues that entrepreneurs face in the operation of their business. Uh, today, we have our, as our guest uh, Clay Patterson. Clay Patterson is a lawyer. He's also a marketing guru and wrote a best-selling book, Blast Off. So if you are an entrepreneur and you have an interest in learning about digital marketing, this is the book for you. Clay, welcome. It's good Thank to you. see you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure. It. I've known you for quite some time now. A few years now. Uh, and we share we share a couple of common uh, elements. Uh, you and I have uh, attended some of the same types of seminars and uh-huh. uh, we're both lawyers. We've both um, traveled down the the professional track. You're the smarter lawyer. Well, I don't know. I'll about give that. you that right off the bat. <laughs> I don't. I don't know about that. I just have probably a few more years than you under my belt. Sure. I think you graduated in 2006, uh, 2015? 16, 16. Yeah. Um, and then you became a member of Bar in 2016. I graduated in uh, uh, December of two, uh, 1993, I believe. And so I've been a member of the bar, a couple of bars now for a long time. It's going on 30 years. A little, little bit more experience, So right? I don't think it's intelligence. It's just experience. Yeah. Um, and, and so you accumulate a lot of knowledge, a lot of skill, um, a lot of abilities over the years. And uh, I got to tell you, if I were to look at my myself um, as a, um, a seven or eight-year lawyer like you are, um, I, I would say that you're probably way ahead of me. At that stage in my career, so in terms that. of intelligence, I'm I'm probably <laughs> going to defer to you on that. Well, thank you. I'll yeah. take that. No, absolutely. Well, Clay, I wanted to talk to you today because I think so many businesses really um, have a need for the space that you fill uh, with uh, dig- digital space marketing. Uh-huh. You have such a unique ability to not only talk about the nuts and bolts of marketing in the digital space. But you have a unique ability to tell entrepreneurs and business owners and business leaders what they need to look for uh, when they're actually looking for um, uh, the right marketing company or the right uh, SEO company or the right uh, social media company. All these these marketing gurus that have popped up over the years. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of the marketing and the internet marketing is sort of the new IT. Yeah. Remember when IT came about? Uh, and, uh, you know, everyone was jumping into it mm-hmm. and people like me who didn't have any base knowledge in it, who didn't know anything about it, we were just confused. Yeah. We just didn't know who was ripping us off. foreign to everybody. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and who is, was actually legitimate. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that's the same thing with digital space, uh, di- digital marketing today yeah. and social media marketing and SEO and all those things, because as an entrepreneur, we don't necessarily have the time, the knowledge, the skill the experience, and we usually don't know anyone who really is trustworthy in that space. Uh, So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you actually got into the space. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So 15 years old in high school, took all the coding classes I possibly could, um, went to Florida State, bought an ice company, was selling ice at parties. And so that's really when the entrepreneur path begun, built a little website for myself, started really the boots on the ground type marketing, printing posters, sticking them in um, different areas across Florida State's campus and all of that. And then left Florida State, went and got my law degree and popped out there and really wanted to use my law degree for business. When I was in law school, people were asking 
what do you want to practice? What do you want to practice? You know, you, during those stages of life, you get the, what are you going to do when you grow up? And then you get the, when are you going to have children? When are you going to get married? And that was that stage of what do you want to practice? What do you want to do? And my response was always the same of just saying, I want to use it for business. And so right after I got involved with a startup that I was looking to launch, and it was a virtual water sports platform for teaching people over the internet how to do specific tricks and sport, like with wakeboarding or wake surfing and stuff like I that. I didn't know and, that you wakeboard. And then, and then yeah. applying that to other action sports like snowboarding and stuff. Yeah. So you could connect with a coach um, at different levels, maybe a $500 coach, a $300 coach, or a $100 coach, and even pros, and they could give you a lesson of, hey, T, the way you approach this wave when you're doing your backflip you know, your shoulders wrong and like coach you virtually. Wait a minute. You were how old when you did this? This was right after law school. So this was what, 24, 25. So let me get this straight. You go to undergraduate school, you get your, your, your bachelor's degree, you go to law school, you get your law degree. Uh, and this is what you're thinking about. This is what I was thinking about. This is what you're focused and I, on. And I needed a website. And so I said, well, I took a bunch of website classes when I was 15 years old. I'm just going to dive back into it. So I hopped on YouTube University, not formally YouTube University, but just YouTube in general and retaught that skill set. And of course, a lot had changed in 10 years with website development. And so what I really started studying was, you know, I'm about to enter this race and I need a vehicle, which is my website and how it's structured and how it's built is going to determine how well I do in the race. And so I started really learning about technical website development, which is different than just a regular website, you know, so, uh, other than just the graphics and just the words. Yeah. Uh, the you, body you were, kit. You, you were going you were back into the background and, and, and looking at what's required to make not only the website look appealing, but to be effective. Absolutely. And my design skills of making it look pretty was not my strength. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have a team now at yes. digital space marketing and, and, and they're amazing designers. Um, and so I could get a website to rank really well on search engines like Google by studying the engine and by really putting all the pieces under the hood of that engine and under the hood of the car in the right places. Because a lot of people will just go to an auto dealer or when they're launching a business sure. and say, I need a website. It's it's the box everybody checks sure. when they're launching a business, right? Well, not all websites are created equally. And the industry is not regulated either. So you can go to any of these auto dealers and buy a car, but you don't know what you're getting. Right. You, know? you don't even know if you have an engine in the car most Correct. of the time. Yeah. You don't know if you're going to pull this thing up on the highway, start business, and then all of a sudden you integrate it or try to integrate it with a CRM platform or a sales portal or something and have to rebuild the whole machine. Yeah. Right? So so t- take me through this step because I think this, this, this distinction I think is important. Um, there's so many entrepreneurs, so many business owners out there, and even leaders in businesses who may, may, may not have an interest in owning the business. Uh, they just don't know what to look for. They don't yeah. know how to vet a marketing company or any of these people out there who are doing the sales call and want to get them on a monthly subscription to be their SEO guy or their digital marketing guy. You actually literally wrote the book, Blast Off. Uh, about this issue, how to help CEOs, entrepreneurs, and leaders in businesses uh, know what to look for mm-hmm. and how to vet those people. So tell us a little bit about that. 
No, and I appreciate the plug for the book. It, it is blast off what executives need to know about digital marketing and executives don't need to know how to create a Facebook post or how to build a website, but they do need to know that there is a difference between different types of websites. Facebook post might be an option for their target audience, depending on where they are in the customer journey. Mm -hmm. And so they need to know what tools they can pull out of the quiver and when to use them and how to hold others accountable. So to, if, you know, someone's starting and looking to evaluate specifically a website development company, I would look at, you know, one, of course, bring them sample sites of what you like design wise, but also take their advice. Often clients will come to us and say, I love this website. And I'm like, well, it's not good for this reason. There's no call to actions above the fold. They're not clear. We're not telling the user what to do. And then also get case studies. So show me if I hire you to give me this vehicle to enter into this race Show me some results. Show me in 12 months from now, what can I expect traffic wise? Show me your approach to before you build it, just like a house, mm -hmm. you design it and lay out the foundation and lay out the plumbing and do all of that. The very last thing when building a house is actually building the house, right? Yeah. And so- What Stephen Covey says, uh, what, what does he say? Measure twice and cut once. Yeah. yeah. So check how they approach- this subject. Are you on with just a salesperson who's saying, we build websites. This is what we do. Here's some of the websites. Like go into the results of, okay, how is this different from this website? And there's different software out there. I, I like a software called SEMrush. I think it has a, a free type of uh, plan. Um, there's paid ones too, but you can plug a domain in to any of those sample sites that this marketing company is showing you. And you can see how it's doing in the race. You can see how many keywords unrelated to the brand, which, you know, is very important for someone. If you're, uh, if you're selling hot dogs, let's say how many people in Orlando are searching for a hot dog company near me or whatever it might be. And so using that data to structure the website, and using that data to evaluate the marketing company is essential in understanding that. But you know, when I read your book, uh, you gave the book to me uh, when you when, uh, soon, soon after you, you published it. Well, thank you for that, by yeah, the way. Welcome. Uh, I uh, uh, I always enjoy reading something that I can find useful and application for, and that I can share with other people. And and I think I found your book to be exactly that for the entrepreneur. I don't think there's another book in that space and that narrow space that we're talking about other than your book, if, mm -hmm. I'm, if I'm correct. Uh, one of the things I really liked about that is you actually started talking about uh, building a profile uh, for, uh, for the customer. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you actually gave a good framework for building an avatar for the ideal customer. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, again, before... You're building a website before you're building ads, before you're entering the market, you need to process you know, who you're talking to. And I think bringing that person to life is a lot better. When, when writing the book, for instance, I could you know, put a picture of you on the board and say, this is who I'm writing to. An executive who has the ability to hire a marketing company and only needs to know certain things. But after reading this book, they're going to know probably more than their marketing. Sure. Right. And so when building out these avatars, 
I think it's important to really dive deep, get, get who they are, quotes, books, where they are, what their pain points are daily. You know, I know you don't want to take the time to build a, build an ad, right? So I don't want to teach you how to build an ad and it's not in the book, right? So really diving into who those people are, where they spend time, what they're doing and really understanding them so that you can actually speak to them. Because if you're speaking to everyone, you've heard the quote, you're speaking to no one. You know, I, I see that quite often uh, with the businesses that I work with. They have uh, such a scattered focus. Uh-huh. Um, and, and when they start thinking about that ideal customer and building that avatar, and you do, such, you do a beautiful job really walking through them through the steps of building that avatar in your book, uh, you, um, you then all of a sudden, you're actually designing something that actually makes a difference to them. Mm. Um, and it's easier to connect with them. Uh, you know, uh, sales is a function of two things. Authority, you, you've got to know what you're selling, why it works, why it's applicable to this group. Uh, and uh, you, you have to know that inside and out, yeah. whether it's a product or a service. But then you also have to have that empathy factor. Mm-hmm. And you don't build that empathy with that ideal customer or that avatar unless you really do a deep dive and understand yeah. them. And I think if you're laying out to get in the weeds of like a site structure or something, right? Like when planning out to build a website, you might have a lot of different target audiences. You know, with the private corporate council that you run, there are many different target audiences. Absolutely. And each one is going to come in and find out about you across multiple entry points in their customer journey. It could be a referral. It could be a cold call. It could be someone walking by. Um, And so processing how we're going to structure the site from homepage into a resource section for these specific avatars, or maybe even we're driving paid ads to these landing pages. Mm -hmm. How are they going to resonate with that? So maybe even starting more general on the homepage, establishing authority, we could, you know, go into what we'd want to lay out on the homepage, but establish that authority. And then once they click through to what they're interested in, now it's hyper-focused on them. Yeah. And so you're helping them make that psychological shift from just thinking about you as one of the top three on their list to go, huh, I had to give these guys a shot. Well, then I think the the power of you know data and retargeting come into play, and it's those creepy ads that yeah. when you shop for the new Pilates socks or whatever it may right. be, you start seeing them everywhere you, on the internet. I think about something <laughs> and then I, I open my phone and there it is. I'm like, what is going on here? Yeah. Um, and so you know what I do? But I, that's I just shut that thing down every night. Yeah, but that's beautiful about marketing, putting stuff into. If I'm not into Ferraris. And I start seeing ads from Ferraris everywhere. Well, that doesn't really help me. If I'm into, you know, wake surfing and snowboarding and I start seeing snowboarding, um, snowboards, snowboard equipment, that's helpful for me. Yeah. And I can start seeing stuff. So it's very cool that, especially with social media and stuff like that, you're bombarded with ads constantly, which... Well, know, I mean, the fact of the matter is Facebook, Google, Apple, almost every major company that's in the space they build a mega profile in every single one of us. Uh-huh. They're buying and, data, oh, selling they're data. They're buying data, they're yeah. selling data. Uh, you know, what is it? Google paid uh, Apple, I think, 20-something billion dollars wow. to be the, uh, uh, the, the, the preferred uh, um, browser yeah. on the devices uh-huh. over a period of time. And so they're, they're building the profile 
these companies that are making billions and billions of dollars are doing the exact same thing that you're advocating. Yes. But a lot of these small and medium-sized businesses don't necessarily have the opportunity to be introduced to that material. And so they don't really know that they need to do it. Uh, yeah. And so they don't do it. And, uh, of course, many of the people who are fly-by-night marketing companies or, or social media companies and things like that, they usually don't have the type of training yeah. necessary to do a deep dive as well. So tell me about digital space marketing and what is the journey that you walk your uh, business clients through when this issue comes up? With specifically which issue? Dealing with, with data? The, identifying what uh, what they need to do to identify that target market, to develop that avatar, and to develop not only the website, but the entire digital space marketing strategy to make their business effective. Yeah, so to, to peel it apart, one, just developing the avatars. I think it goes into a lot of customers, depending on where they come into our business, they might know it, but they've never consciously created messaging or ads or graphics specifically for them. So if they already know their customer avatar or some even come in with a brand guide, we just built out Trustco Bank, for instance, and their brand guide and messaging guidelines is very dialed in. They know who their customer is. They know specifically that they're wanting to you know, gear more towards mortgages right yes. now, et cetera, et cetera. So that's a little bit different and it might take some tweaking from our team, right? And then there's the entrepreneur or a startup or maybe someone only in business for a few years who really needs that built out and they've never thought about it. They have their tagline, but it's not dialed in specifically for those services. So it's really going through, you know, one, establishing the avatar, getting clear on who we want to speak to and where, mm -hmm. and then figuring out when we're speaking to them in certain places, what they're going to hear. So on Facebook, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, it should feel and look different. It should it still be from the brand because everything's driven from those avatars, but um, they should be able to, you know, put that together. And when those people hop on to those channels after interacting with the business, or maybe even for the first time, they're seeing material and ads specifically for them. Yeah. So what I'm hearing from you is that you are taking your customers through this journey where you're trying to make them fully aware of their customer's mindset. Mm-hmm wherever the customer is in that journey with assumptions when I, with, and i think course. that's like a key factor in this is we have some assumptions if uh, we do a lot in the medical space um so if a plastic surgeon lasik surgeon whatever comes in we are really good at generating leads for them yeah. and and you know getting them new patients but we have assumptions of what's going to work because we have tons of clients like that spending hundreds yeah. of thousands of dollars with us a month but if you don't, come in with assumptions, test it, and then retest it. Yeah, so, of course. Yeah. It's all a hypothesis, right? Yeah. It's almost the scientific method all over again. But I think there's tools out there for you don't have to reinvent the wheel. So yeah. today, if we were launching a law firm, for instance, we can use things like tools that Facebook and them offer, Facebook ads library that's free, and we can see every single ad that our competitors are using. Yeah. And we can do it better. And it's similar to, I always use this analogy with building websites. If, if you and I are out camping, right? 
and a bear comes, I just have to run faster than you. Oh, and so, and so (laughs) with our haircuts, um, hopefully we're at the same speed, but, um, with that, we can see what our competitors are doing and we can start tweaking things around it. They've already done, hopefully they've already done some research on it. So we're already hitting the ground running by not taking, of course, their messaging or graphics or anything, but seeing what they're doing, I think. And well, I mean, out yeah, what we that, can do that competition analysis is pretty important. So you, you you're doing whatever you can to really understand this customer mindset where they are, and then you're you're trying to help these uh, these businesses develop the right message. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's so many mediums that you could put this message in. Correct. How do you choose which medium to use? I mean, just in the digital space, what do you have? Social media, and that can be broken down into six, seven, eight, nine, ten different Lots areas. Of different ones, yeah. You've got the general web. You've got targeted uh, uh, paid paid ads. You've got so many options. How do you help a business choose? So what we've been doing lately is stacking it almost in columns, if we were to think about it that way. So you have the different areas of the customer journey, whether it's and the typical, like a very simple funnels, you know, awareness, middle of the funnel, bottom yeah, of the funnel, right? And so top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, bottom, yeah, bottom tofu, of the funnel, mofu and bofu, yeah. yeah, and so putting what you're going to do at each stage within those columns and saying, okay, at the top of the funnel, we're going to use Google search. I love Google search because people are literally searching for your business, right? And so using that at the top of the funnel, and then you have your landing pages of where you're going to drive that traffic Mm -hmm. to based on your customer avatars. What is that page going to look like? And then you start moving into, okay, We know they're interested in our business or a business like us. Let's go with that assumption. So at middle of the funnel, we're going to use maybe in the B2B space, specifically LinkedIn, right? Or Facebook and Instagram. Everybody pretty much is on Facebook and Instagram. So not just blasting out to that channel, but just using Facebook, Instagram at the middle of the funnel for retargeting. Mm -hmm. And then let's say specifically those ads are if someone was shopping for a website on our, on our, uh, for our business, they click our Google ad, top of the funnel, website design company. Mm-hmm. Then we start retargeting them with maybe pricing. Let's, let's weed them out quick, you know, pricing and case studies. Retargeting on the web or direct email or text? All of the above. Oh. If we have their email, which there's systems in place where we can scrape email addresses, mm-hmm. assuming your terms and conditions and your privacy policy cover this stuff, sure. right? Which is a, diving into the legal aspect. But then to move to the bottom of the funnel, we're going to start using case studies. We're going to start, as I mentioned, showing site traffic and growth that we've had from clients over time. So you're starting months. top of the funnel, in, uh, interest, narrowing it down, choice, yeah. and all the way down to get ready to yeah. take some action. And, and I see... At the top of the funnel, I see this mistake a lot, shoving the main call to action, the goal, down their throats of, hey, buy a website from us today. That's not the main call to action that we should be using or you know, pay us to build your website, redesign it, because they're not ready for it. They want to learn more. They want case studies. They want to see what we've done for people. Or maybe even a, a limited call to action could be, hey, Pay us for a design audit. Pay us $200. Let's try to get our foot in the door and get a little money from them. If you give us $200, 
we'll apply that 200 to any project you use us for. So trying to get those those lead magnets really working for you. So that call to action is almost like a, a, a positive trigger that you can give them. Correct. As to get them moving from where they are to where you want them to go. To go. Obviously, it's great to get them exactly where you want them, yeah. but it's incremental. Yeah, and specifically for us, it would be come in through a paid ad, let's say Google, Bing, or anywhere else, or we could even blast on LinkedIn, hey, we just built Trustco's bank, and try to get that in front of C-suite executives at banks, right? And then download our website checklist. The website industry isn't regulated. We've self-regulated ourselves. Mm -hmm. Give us your email, download our checklist. Then from there, what does that email funnel look like yes. specifically? And when they have now pulled us into their world, we have proper data tracking systems in place and pixel placements that wherever they look digitally, they're going to see us. So if they look on YouTube, they're going to be like, Gosh, digital space marketing's here. They are, hopped yeah. on LinkedIn, boom, we're there. Facebook, we're there. Instagram, we're there. And so having those ads and having that ability to follow them around, they're going to start looking everywhere in the digital world seeing us. How many impressions do they need to have before they say, well, you know what, I'll give them a call. Well, I'll give it a shot. It, it, so there's a lot of studies out on that, yeah. which is a good question. It used to be four. Now people are saying... 11 to 15. Because there's so many distractions. It's crazy. And that's where, you know, to kind of shift the subject to, I think a lot of companies are doing really good producing content, right? You know, they're putting money into content, mm -hmm. but then they post it. But then let's just use Facebook just to zoom in. They post it on Facebook and then Halloween was yesterday. So they post their costumes and it buries their post. And what they're doing is they're not building ads and putting money behind these things. So they're spending money to get content created, but then it stops there. Like when just a few dollars behind that, even just retargeting website visitors, showing them what they're doing sure. or whatever it may be, um, goes so much far, or goes so far. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I'm gonna shift, shift gears with you for a minute here. Uh, your background is fascinating. Uh, aside from uh, you're taking a lot of coding classes at a young age and being very entrepreneurial at a young age, uh, you you try to live a balanced life. I do. Uh, you uh, you know you go you you take time off a week sometimes more uh, to go uh, snowboarding. Uh, you take frequent time off for retreats uh, and to sharpen the, 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 the saw by going to seminars and other educational events. Um, how do you make time for those things? I think it's essential. I mean, I think stepping away and I mean, I, I believe you're into meditation and everything like that, like getting rid of that noise is it's just a must. Yeah. You, know, you can think clearer. You need that space. And I don't want to dive too deep into the religious aspect, but a lot of people focus on praying or hoping or the law of attraction, that type of stuff. You know, those buzzwords are out there. Sure. But listening is not really emphasized as much in our culture, especially in America where we're bombarded constantly by technology. Mm -hmm. Anywhere you go, people are staring at their phones. And I think the brain, arguably being a receiver, does better when it pauses. And I yeah. think that, that that's essential to step away and take a step back to take, 
take three forward. And yeah, but the things that you do are extreme. I mean, you know, snowboarding is not an easy thing. Well, and I and, like and to get on helicopters. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it just ended at snowboarding around resorts, yeah. but I've gone into the, the helicopters and the back countries now. That's yeah. where kind of my snowboarding is, which is, it's a fun area to be in, but I think it makes it fun and worthwhile and teaches me a lot about the struggles. You know, when you're climbing up to a mountain after a helicopter just dropped you off, you know, you're, you're processing things, things a little bit differently. Your focus is, is, has got to be, you've got to be on your game when you're focusing. I I think as it's comparable to the entrepreneur journey of doing tough stuff (laughs) and being in the, uh, what's the path that you call of, Oh yeah, you know the uh, the zone of, of of disappointment. The zone of disappointment. Yes, indeed. you know your heart yes. starts beating at the top of a mountain, and you're like, "Why am I here? What am I doing?" Yeah. And you strap into a snowboard, yes. and you start going down. You're in. Yeah, in. Uh, you you've snowboarded on Whistler, Canada, and uh, I've been Canada. up there. Yeah, I've, I've skied in, in, in Whistler, um, and I got to tell you, that's that's um, well, I mean, some of them are easy, but uh, the Black Diamond's not. Oh, they're crazy up there. It's crazy, yeah. And I think with the physical health and and taking breaks, it's as leaders, as entrepreneurs, as executives, you know, we have to, you know, I'm human, so I've I've struggled with this a lot of not showing up my best sometimes to work or snapping in the middle of a meeting. And, you know, we don't get much grace in the seats that we sit in. That's right. But that's not what we take that role up for. And so... I think trying to be my best self, whether it's getting in the cold plunge and I was in this morning, getting in the cold plunge, doing things that you don't want to do, yeah. the rewards are are there. And, and I think that's what life is about. I got to tell you, I didn't want to go to Pilates class this morning at all. I fell asleep around one o'clock this morning and had to be up around uh, a little after five o'clock in order to take care of the dog and do everything else that I need to do before I get to the class. Yeah. And I was like... I don't feel it this morning, <laughs> but I did it. Yeah, and I got to tell you, after the class, I just felt invigorated, and I, you know, I can I can continue with my day. Uh, sometimes you just have to do those things. Do you think it's the ninety percent rule of just showing up? As I I I, be, I firmly believe that if you show up, uh, that's a big part of it. That's mm-hmm. probably the biggest part of it for me because if you show up, you'll get something. Have you seen that play out in business by just showing up and? And oh. doors open, or oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. I, I, um, I got to tell you, well, that's one of the reasons I actually come to the office every day. I could work from home. Yeah, uh, we have the ability to remote since two thousand and six. Believe that or not, wow. uh, and I've tried it. And um, you know, uh, when you're focusing on one project and you just want to just do that without mm-hmm. interruption, it's great. But if your your day to day work and your interaction with other people, if you physically show up, yeah, uh, you never know what's going to come at you. Mm-hmm. And what may come at you would be maybe the best opportunity you've ever had. Do you think that's, is that playing out? Do you think we're bouncing back now to the non-virtual? Well, I've got to tell you, I've I, I got to tell you, I, I see both ends of it. Um, and, you know, when I'm, when I'm looking at the employer, uh, the employer is now losing the creativity, the connectivity. People have these buzzwords about culture, but basically what they're losing is the synergy and the cohesiveness from the employee's point of view. I get that from the, they have flexibility. Sometimes, yeah. if they want to make more money, they can they can walk dogs. They can do other things uh, during their break time. They save on gas. They save on time. Uh, they can still get some ho- some work done yeah. at home. 
they hopefully eat, are eating healthier. Um, and, uh, you know, so there are a lot of benefits on both sides. And striking that balance is kind of tough. Um, and, and I think, obviously, on both sides, there's opportunity to abuse it. Yeah. Uh, but for me, someone said it best this way. They said, the guy who's, who stays at home and works on the file only works on the file the files that he gets. Mm. The guy who goes out and works in the office and commutes back and forth may pick up a client on the way yeah. back or forth. Yeah. Um, and, and so... I like that. Uh, so it's really important to, to really think about, as an entrepreneur, what the goal is. Yeah. From an employee point of view, the goal is, hey, they gave me work to do. I'm going to get the work done. When I'm done, I'm going to do something else. Um, but from the employer's point of view is, hey, I'm going to give you some work to do, get the work done. And if you get it done fast enough, I'm going to give you something else mm-hmm. uh, because I'm not paying you for the job. Yeah. I'm paying you for your time. Yeah. And if you can get it done faster, then we can do more. Uh, and so moving into it, that transactional oh, it's, it's employee so, type that's as exactly opposed right. to I, I just started a Netflix. I think it's Netflix and it's the 100 Hundred plus blue zone something. About. I haven't seen that. I have to check it, it, that out. It's really good on just diving deep into these blue zone areas where people are living longer. And I think you know we're made to be together. And yes. so I've noticed from our staff and stuff, even in the digital world, shoot, we could definitely be remotely. Yeah. Um, but people that that connection oh, yeah. is is essential to have. And it's so a human element. Yeah, I don't think it's lasting. I argue. I guess I would put out the argument. I don't think people are as happy when they isolate themselves. There's, you know, the worst thing you can do to a prisoner is put them alone, right? And so, um, I mean, you know, I mean, there's there's some truth in that. I want to switch switch up a little yeah. with you because I, I, it's interesting to me that you've had this journey, and uh, you didn't have to go to law school to do what you do. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, you didn't have to go to get a bachelor's degree to do what you do. Yeah, uh, because you learned a lot of the fundamental skills before yeah. those stages, and uh, with the information available and your drive and your desire to learn and your focus, you could easily pick those things up on your own. Absolutely. And so you went through this journey, and you came right back to what your life force is, mm. uh, and or your life task. Right? You you were drawn to this. Yeah. Uh, in a way that you weren't drawn to practicing law, even though you own a law firm. Yeah. Um, and you have a lawyer working for you um, and going through that process, you still said, this is great. Love being a lawyer. Love having the credential. What I learned was very useful. But this is who I am and this is what I was born to do. Um, and you actually was brave enough to actually make that leap. It was not the path of least resistance. <laughs> talk, talk to us a little bit about that, you know, because I know there are a lot of entrepreneurs out there yeah. or, or even people in businesses. They're saying, oh, my God, this is not what I'm born to do, but I'm doing it because I need to make money, because I need to survive. That's the trap. That's exactly yeah. right. So talk, yeah. talk us through that. For so me. I think, I mean, I did not take the path of least resistance in the sense of parents are amazing and everything, but the guidance was go get a legal job practice law, et cetera. But I realized that that's just not, didn't make me happy. I wasn't that engaged in it. I, I got the law firm or the law degree to use in business, yes. right? I did, I'm going to read business books the rest of my life. And every entrepreneur or you know CEOs, executives who are at that high level are probably a leader who reads, right? Yes. And so... Well, you don't say leaders are re- readers yeah. are leaders. And yes. so I figured 
I'm not going to go back and read case law. I don't yeah. know anyone who does that. <laughs> Actually, I just did yesterday. Well, lawyers. I'm sorry do. to say. Lawyers <laughs> do. But at that time, debating going to yeah. law school or not, I'm yeah. like, I'm not going to sit down for the rest of my life and study case law and understand the nuances of law unless I pay to go do this. But I tell so, you what, though, what law school did for me, and it probably did for you as well, it gave me the ability to analyze anything. Yeah. Anything. Mm -hmm. Whereas you could analyze a math problem yeah. because that those are known quantities. Yeah. You could analyze a chair and pull it apart and find all the parts to it and, and put it back together. Mm -hmm. But to be able to do that in the abstract, yeah. in society, in a relationship, uh, in a confrontation, in a conflict, uh, in, in an opportunity to grow and develop and say, these are the elements that you need to look at. Mm. And this is what we need to work on. I like that. I think law school, and particularly reviewing case law, yeah. gave me that opportunity to look at that a lot more. Because when you take a concept as, as ambiguous or as vague um, as negligence, mm. what the hell is it? Yeah. But they were able to say, in order to prove that someone else was negligent, you've got to find that, number one, that there was a duty, um, and that duty is governed by the reasonable man standard, whatever the hell that is. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it, you have to have uh, a breach of that duty, and the duty has to be the breach has to be the direct cause and the proximate cause of damages. <laughs> um, and there has to be no reason why you can't negate that. Mm -hmm. Now, people who haven't gone through that experience, they're not looking at it the same way. Mm. But when you go through law school, it really gives you and hones in on that analytical I think, ability. I think that lens is, yeah, that lens and, is... And that helps you a lot yeah, in, in that, everything else that you do. That lens is a very powerful tool. There's there's the perception that others have of you looking at the world through the lens, of course. Exactly. And there's the lens, the number two, of you actually being able to see the world and analyze it that's correct. that way. You're and seeing so the pieces, not just the whole. That's really the main drive that pushed me I wanted that knowledge. I wanted to look at the world that way. I probably could have done informal training, but I didn't. And with my philosophy of where the internet is and where everything is today, I have a lot of nieces and nephews who yes. are ages you know, 12 to 16, 17. Uh -huh. And my sisters and brother-in-laws don't like the advice that I give them because even with the degrees or whatever, it's you don't need it in a sense, like to do certain things. I know plenty of people who have started an asphalt company or whatever it may be at 18 years old. And I didn't start my first business. Well, besides lacrosse camps and ice selling ice and stuff, my first scalable type business until I was 25, 26. And you so in Alaska, by the way, selling ice. No, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was selling it to parties. They take good. shots down these big ice blocks. <laughs> I was the ice man. Um, and so, I think depending on what you want to do, you can teach yourself. Yeah. And, and, and starting early. Especially today is with all the resources advantage. available. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I can't, I, I, I can't imagine having access to so much instructional material, data, uh, and experts in the area where I can just kind of sit down in a day and say, I want to learn about X. Well, and just spend the day taking notes on yeah. it and digesting it. If I had that, when I was 14, 15, mm -hmm. 16, I can't imagine what I would do. Of course, you're competing with games yeah. and, you know, uh, dopamine uh, triggers. But for the curious, yeah. I mean, generating curiosity. And I mean, that's how 
after building the website for Wation, I immediately moved into affinitylaw.com, yeah. built it out for myself. And then friends and family said, can you build me a website? Yes. And I said, absolutely. And the first check came in and I didn't know, I didn't even have an LLC. Yeah. So I'm like, well, I don't want to be a development company because that's project based. I want to yeah. focus on reoccurring revenue right. and, and really adding value. So I'm launching digital space marketing. I cash the check, yeah. launch the LLC and cash the check. Right. And so even just self-teaching something that I needed for myself, I think, I mean, it led me to digital space marketing. And as an entrepreneur, I think to zoom out, the law is very important to understand as an yes. entrepreneur. And marketing's understand is good to yeah. you know understand as an entrepreneur. So spending other people's money and learning how to advertise, doing that was was very valuable for me. Yeah, to, to learn. You showed up and uh, you kept moving along the line, and all these opportunities opened up, and you started seeing the world in a different place. And that took you on a journey in your professional life cycle from one place to where you are now. How much further do you have to go before you believe that you'll be in prime or do you think you're in prime now? Oh, well, no, I do not <laughs> think I'm in prime now. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, if I had to judge, I'm very harsh on myself. So there's nothing anyone could say that would hurt my feelings because yeah. it's not as bad as what how I judge myself. Sure. Right. And especially at 35, looking at social media, there's always that comparison aspect. And sure. Comparison is the thief of joy in that sense. So I try to focus on that too of being grateful, right? But um, I think right now with digital space marketing, I'm really focused on the systems and processes to be able to scale. And so the hardest part, and maybe not, you tell me your your opinion on this. The hardest part is getting from a single attorney in a law firm to two or from one employee to a second. But once the systems are in place for each particular job and you've outlined that, and we're both familiar with traction, you know, getting the process down to create traction, it's much easier to go from two to four to four to eight. And I've heard that from a lot of different I, mean, I don't care what the business is. Once you, once you design the system mm -hmm. and you design the model and you test the model out, uh, after that, it's plug and play. Yeah. Um, and it's just a matter of getting enough clients and getting enough work and balancing the work and the, and the clients uh, I mean, there's nothing worse than getting a lot of clients and not being able to do the work, but there's also nothing worse than uh, having all this work to do uh, or, or or not have the, the proper client, uh, the, the, the talent and, and have all the talent, but they have nothing to do. Yeah. And I think on that, the way you describe the life cycle of a person or the life cycle of a business, sure. I'd have to say I'm probably like... I feel like I'm still in the teenager phase. Sure. There's there's still a lot going on. Cash flow still is always a balance. And then to move forward to anyone out there listening of when do I hire that first employee or something like that. For me, it was I got one client, one monthly client, and then I got a second. And right when I, let's say 3000 and 3000 for digital space marketing. So I had six grand coming in and I hired a second person. So I hired them really early because... The only way to grow and scale any business is to multiply time. And, and that's interesting because all of a sudden your $6,000 is going towards the business and it's not going towards you, mm -hmm. but you're not looking at today. Yeah. You're looking at tomorrow. Yeah. And I think you have to do that constantly. You always want to take a few chips off the table, right? But also in the entrepreneur space, it's, it's a risky game.
It is you a know? risky game. So, I mean, so it's, it's entrepreneurship, the game we gamble. Entrepreneurship is not for sissies, that's for no. sure. Yeah. Uh, and every single business that I work with, I see that struggle. I see the struggle. I see the impact not only on them. I see it on their families. I see it on their circle of influence, whether it's internally in their business or people who depend on their business externally. Uh, it is a tremendous, tremendous responsibility. Yeah. And it can be a tremendous opportunity and really beautiful. But, oh, my God, it can be devastating, too. The, the quote of... I work 60 hours, so I don't have to work 40. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, if you're lucky, you're working 60 yeah. hours. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because it's much more than that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So, um, you know, you're getting married. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. So, uh, so, so, you know, uh, I, I'm working on this, uh, this, this new framework, and I call it emotional leadership. Okay. And this is where you take your blueprint, and then you take someone else's blueprint, and then you have an interaction, and that interaction creates an emotional experience. For positive or negative. For positive yeah. or negative. Um, and so when I look at the blueprint, the, I, I, I look at your blueprint, I'm thinking, let me learn as much as possible about Clay from birth to now. Hmm. Let me see if I can understand his experiences, the environments he was in, uh, his education, his indoctrination, his relationship with people, with things, with animals, with ideas, mm-hmm. with concepts. Uh, if I can understand that, and I can, let me see if I, I can understand the tribes that he's been a member yeah. of. If I can understand those things, the tribes you're a member of, I have an idea of your culture. And if I have an idea of your culture, I have an idea of your belief system. If I have an idea of your belief system, I have an idea of your values, the things that you think are important. Mm-hmm. If I have an idea of that, I've got a good idea about your identity. Yeah. And if I have a good idea about your identity, I have a good idea about what you want, what you need, and what you desire. Uh-huh. And if I get that right, then I know what you expect. Yeah. And I know what your rules are. And I put that all together, and that's Clay's blueprint. Uh-huh. Now, you've met, you met this wonderful woman, and she has a different blueprint yeah, altogether. A whole different blueprint. Yeah. A whole different blueprint. <laughs> yeah. And now you're putting it all together. Yeah. And now you're trying to create a new family blueprint. Uh-huh. What is that journey like? I think it's tough out there. I think, you know, our personal relationships are, you know, they get the best of us, they get the worst of us, yeah. but it's finding someone that you can be with who has that hunger and desire. I'm a pretty intense person, Yeah. you know, like, you know, she probably wishes that I'm not pushing her to get out of a helicopter <laughs> in, for our next snowboard You actually trip. take her? After, I'm going to take her after oh, okay. the wedding. Yeah. I'm trying to get her to go. After the wedding? Yeah. Sign up. So of she doesn't have a choice now. Yeah. You're in. <laughs> <laughs> so she doesn't know that yet. Hopefully she's not listening. No, but so I think it's trying to find someone, you know, for me, who's open-minded and who, you know, has that humility of like, I don't know everything. Yeah. I'm a human and I am not... A perfect human and it's and I'm gonna try my best and I'm gonna give myself the grace and you the grace but trying to find someone who will be hungry and who doesn't know it all or who doesn't have the so ego you're looking in the for way. someone whose blueprint is similar to yours correct at least that recognizes a blueprint or has a similar blueprint but also has that you know there's the fixed verse uh, fixed verse what mindset the yeah I mean you're fluid yeah. yeah, fixed versus fluid mindset. So trying to find someone whose belief systems isn't so grounded, even so though rigid. We, they all yeah. are, yeah. but who's willing to look into that part of themselves and 
update. That's upgrade so interesting that you say that because you know if if <laughs> if she doesn't tell you her rules mm-hmm. and her expectations, and you do something that violates those rules or doesn't meet those expectations, I will. Yeah. Which you will, yeah. I guarantee it. I've yeah. been married now for almost uh, 36, 37 years. Yeah. You got to count all the wives, though. <laughs> uh, you know, when you look when you look at that scenario, you will find instances where she had a rule. She probably didn't even know she had the rule, mm-hmm. and you violated the rule, and she's upset. Yeah. You don't know why she's upset. Maybe sometimes she doesn't know why yeah. she's upset. Um, and then you've got to deal with that. Uh, but you know what they say: happiness lies right above expectations. Mm-hmm. And so if you anticipate her rules and you follow her rules and you anticipate her expectations and you meet and exceed her expectations, uh, she's going to be happy. Yeah. And you're going to be happy. Yeah. But if you violate any of those rules or don't meet those expectations, she's not going to be happy. And if you do it intentionally, God help you. Yeah. And it uh, could be my naiveness right now, right? My, my belief systems around this, I hope change. They will change. Yes. They've changed over the years. But we always encourage each other. I'm not here to make you happy. And I don't know if this is a healthy belief system or not, but I'm not. And that's what I, and so I encourage her to do things to make her happy. Wait a minute. Same, you're not here to make her, her happy. It's not my I'll, job. I'm going to have to interview you in five <laughs> years and I'll see how that works out yeah. for you. I got to tell you, I have a different philosophy. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I heard someone say that anger is the punishment we give ourselves mm. for someone else's behavior. Mm. I like that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. So when I look at relationships, whether it's a, an intimate relationship like a husband and wife um, or boyfriend, girlfriend, or um, it, it is a business relationship or just a casual uh, relationship, uh, I think it's important for us to raise our not only our own self-awareness, but our social awareness mm. so that when we interact with that person, um, we're, we're not forcing positive interactions. It's natural but we're intentionally not triggering negative interactions. Mm, yeah. And so we can do that by understanding as much as we can about them so we can understand what their rules and their expectations yeah. are. And we can do our best to at least meet or exceed those expectations. Yeah. And so when it comes to personal intimate relationships, yeah, I think it's a good idea to, to, to follow those rules and meet those expectations mm-hmm. and create memorable moments so that uh, there's that type of uh, positivity in the relationship. Yeah. Um, if you can do it intentionally. Yeah. Of course, they'll, they'll, you know, if, if, if you do, uh, if you do it unintentionally and you, you don't miss them, you don't meet the mark, uh, then that's okay too. But yeah. you got to figure out how to deal with that. Yeah. How do you deal with that when, when she's upset and, uh, you know, you realize, holy cow, I did not know this, but now I know. Hmm. How do you deal with that? Gosh, well, for us, I think it's, encouragement of being open to that and I'm I wear my emotions on my sleeves and generally say too much and so for her when she does express you know how she feels or pushes that out there I really encourage her she's like the sweetest most perfect person and so she's called me an asshole one time before just once just once doing okay basically (laughs) and I was like awesome good job like that's good you know so I think there's a lot of, especially for men, expressing emotions and stuff like that. It always has to be these manly emotions in a sense. Society right. pushes that on. But for her and I, expressing emotions and working through these things is something we're working on. Working on working on ourselves mm-hmm. is what we do. I'm 
I can only control myself and I work on myself constantly and same for her. And so then we bring our best selves to the relationship, Good. you know? And so uh, that's how, that's my philosophy right now. Yeah. It'll of course change as children come and all of that stuff. Um, it's going to change. And I'm, you know, I see coaches like you to update those belief systems or to check them or to, you know, ab absorb yours and to try to figure this out because we're all on this crazy rock going you know, around. You know, as lawyers, we deal with conflict all the time. Mm -hmm. A lot of conflict. And you're good with it as a mediator too. Consistently, <laughs> right? We're dealing with it as lawyers, as a mediator. And in my work with businesses, I deal with conflict all the time. And so I've actually come up with a paradigm. And, uh, you know, I said, look, if it's me and I'm upset, mm -hmm. I'm angry, I'm disappointed, I'm frustrated, what can I do about it? Well, I can disconnect. And I can disconnect from the person, from the environment, from the tribe, uh, from the circumstances, and I can disconnect permanently or temporarily. And put One some, better than some, the other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Put some distance between uh, the stimulus and my response. Mm -hmm. uh, I could just blow up. Done that. And <laughs> certainly done that. You yeah. know, I, I, I can, um, uh, you know, I can, there are a lot of options that I can take that are not very constructive. Yeah. But what if I said to myself, this belief system that you have and these values that you have and these resulting uh, uh, identity that you created for yourself and these rules and these expectations that you have, are they serving you? Mm. Yeah. Is this, this belief system that you have, that you have this degree of certainty about, is it actually true? But Can even understanding it? the belief system is a skill in and of itself. It is a skill. Because I would argue a lot of people, including myself, of course, don't even recognize certain belief systems that we have. So well, like, I mean, I, I went know. to an exercise with a, uh, I have a, a, a lovely woman that, um, uh, that hired me to coach her kids. Mm -hmm. And her kids are between the ages of 16 and 27. This lady lives and works in Japan. Uh, she has a, a multinational company that she runs. And she woke up one day and she said, I don't think my kids are ready for this. <laughs> If something happens to me. Yeah. And so she hired me to coach her kids. And I went through this exercise with the kids just this week, actually. And, um, and one of them is in Japan, one's in Brazil, and two are in New York City. And they all get together for this Zoom session yeah. with me. Really interesting. And, and I went around them and I said, how many of your beliefs do you think are yours versus um, others imprinted yeah. on you? And they all said that... Uh, their own belief systems that they came up with and they validated and they adopted it consciously and intentionally, maybe about 15 to 20%. That's pretty and, good. And the rest of them yeah. completely imprinted upon them. Yeah. And it's almost like they're on autopilot. But, but that's society in general. And I was talking to a friend the other day about this concept. And, and it's like the six-year-old girl whose mom is crying in the house, right? She... The six-year-old girl grabs a little tissue or grabs a towel and brings it over to her mom, mm -hmm. and her mom stops crying, yeah, the six-year-old girl. And all of a sudden, in the, between the ears and the brain, this little girl can fix people's problems With a tissue. at six years old. That's right. And so she adopts this belief system that she has the ability herself to fix people and mm -hmm. to fix people's problems. And it becomes, I mean, there's a lot of different gurus out there with different personality traits, but the one I would label 
maybe is a people pleaser and starts becoming this person who puts themselves before others mm-hmm. um, or puts others before themselves. Yeah. And so just from this teeny incident under six years old, seven years old, that happened. And so I think <laughs> as I reflect on my own self, I think part of life is recognizing these and then trying to strip them away, right? Yeah. It's like... Well, I mean, you try to recognize them. And try rebuild. to recognize the ones that serve you and keep those and the ones that don't serve you, you get rid yeah. of those. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the toughest things. So yeah, so when I'm in that spot, I usually start saying, what are these belief systems? What are these values? And what are these rules and expectations that I have? Because I have the power to change those. Mm-hmm. And if I can change those, uh, then it doesn't matter what anyone else does. Yeah. All, all that matters is how I interpret it. And I can choose to interpret it any way I want. But when it comes to other people, it's a little bit more complicated. And so with other people, you almost have to de-escalate them from a 10 all the way down to a zero and then walk them through that process. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's not easy. But as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as a leader in a business, you often are faced with situations where people are escalated in a negative way, whether it's an employee customer, yeah. a partner, a strategic uh, relationship in one form or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and you've got to sit back and think, huh, how did this person get there? Yeah. And how can I get them from there back to a place that's constructive? How do you do that? Empathy and grace, right? Empathy it's, and grace. You know, I, I mean, probably other words that could pop out, but yeah. it's, you know, being empathetic. To, I'm a human too, yeah. and I get it, and then it's okay. You know, and I think in relationships too, it's, you know, if, if Louisa, for instance, that's my fiance, like something happens in that sense, it's like, who am I to judge? Like, I'm here to help, yeah. you know, I'm here to listen. I'm here. What do you, what do you need? Do you need me to listen or do you need me to solve your problem? Yeah. And so I think recognizing that too, when employees blowing up or something like that is, is key too. Sometimes they just want to be listened to. Yeah. And sometimes they want us to solve their problems and sometimes it's not the time. And that temporary space that you talked about earlier is super important. And I think depending on the issue, especially for entrepreneurs, executives, et cetera, you can't let that space get too big or too small. Right. And so then I'm still navigating through this, which is why I'm not in prime (laughs) as a human, let alone for the business, but trying to figure out what that is. And it's obviously situational as well. You know, if someone's employees, parent passes away or a loved one passes away and they come in and you're like, Hey, I don't think we should like talk about this. right now. We need some space. Probably not the best time yes. to put space in and like, Hey, let's talk in a week. Yeah. It's like, no. So I think it's situational as well of trying to figure that out. How so do you, you approach You've got to raise your, your own awareness and the social awareness to be able to do that. Your, your yeah. emotional intelligence has to be at a, at a place where you have at least the base skills uh, to recognize uh, those situations mm-hmm. and act accordingly. Clay, we've covered a lot of ground today. We have. Uh, and, and, and that's one of the things I love talking with. Uh, one of the reasons I love talking to you is because the diversity of thought is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of these thoughts and all these ideas and all these concepts that we discussed, they're not unique to you or me. Mm-hmm. Every single entrepreneur they're thinking about these things. It's a lot of different realities, too. It, it is a lot of different realities. <laughs> well, I want to loop back over to, to what you do. and um, uh, I, So tell people how they can get in contact with you at Digital Space Marketing. So the best place for me personally is ClaytonPatterson.com. 
Um, that you'll find books, all sorts of stuff that I'm putting out there, resources. And then digitalspacemarketing.com is the marketing company's main domain um, where you can get in touch with us for a great first step is a website audit. If there is business owners out there to like first get that audit, yeah. let's just bring a team in to let's see how you're doing in the race. Let's see the vehicle. Let's see what we're working with before we do anything. Right. Let's let's figure out the belief systems before we change them right? Yeah. in that sense. And so, um, yeah, ClaytonPatterson.com, DigitalSpaceMarketing.com. Those are the best places. And so how can entrepreneurs get your book Blast Off? Amazon. I have it in paperback, hardcover, and Kindle. Yeah. I'm working on The Voice, waiting for Morgan Freeman to call me back. <laughs> Hasn't called me back yet, but working on The Audible as well. So, uh, you know, if, if, if people go on your website uh, for Digital Space Marketing, you get the pop-up of the book as well. So they, can, oh, they yeah. can go on the website, they can look at it, the book will pop up. And if they want to buy the book, they can actually click that link they straight can. to Amazon and buy Absolutely. the book Absolutely. Well. You did your homework. I forgot about the pop-up. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> well, Clay, it was a yeah. pleasure. Thank you. It's great thank to, you for uh, having great, me. Great to have you. Thank yes. you for uh, thank I you for I always appreciate our conversations. Same, uh, yeah. same here. Absolutely same here. Thank you all for joining us in Private Corporate Council uh, and the Private Corporate Council podcast. Uh, if you want to learn more about our uh, our firm, you can reach us at 407-647-7887 or visit us on the web at uh, www.pcc.law. Thank you and have a great day. Please continue to listen to our podcast to learn more. Contact us at 877-647-7887 or email us at info at pcc.law to learn more about the Private Corporate Council program and how we can help you and your business on your journey to success.